be here tonight. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah chapter 32. The name of the message tonight is God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. Jeremiah chapter 32. We'll be reading verses 36 to 42. Jeremiah 32, verses 36 to 42. And again, the name of the message is God's faithfulness. And now, therefore, thus saith the Lord God of the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city, whereof ye say, it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, Babylon by the sword, and by famine, and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whither I have driven them in mine anger, and in my fury, and in great wrath. And I will bring them again unto this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart in one way, that they may fear me forever. For the good of them and of their children after them, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from them to do them good. But I will put my fear in their hearts, that they shall not depart from me. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. For thus saith the Lord, Like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. Now the faithfulness of God is proclaimed both in the Old Testament and in the New. Turn, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 7, and then also Psalm 89 for the Old Testament. The faithfulness of God is proclaimed all through the Scriptures We'll just look at two portions here in the Old Testament, and then we'll look at two places in the New Testament. And our great God is so faithful. He's always faithful to his people, to his covenant people. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9, the scriptures declare this, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God. He is God. The faithful God. You know how faithful our God is. We'll see tonight. Our God is so faithful to his people. Which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Now turn, if you would, to Psalm 89. Psalm 89. And these are, again, just a couple portions. There's many portions which speak of the faithfulness of God, but... Due to time constraints, we only allowed to look at a couple here, and then because I'd like to get right into the text that we read, Psalm eighty-nine, verses seven to nine. <clears throat> God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be held in reverence of all them that are about Him. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto Thee, or to Thy faithfulness round about Thee? Thou rulest the raging of the sea, when the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. Now let's go to the New Testament. Turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
in Hebrews chapter 10. Again, this is just a couple portions. There's many more. So his faithfulness we saw declared there in the Old Testament. Now we'll go to the New Testament. And we'll see his faithfulness declared here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. The scriptures declare this. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. Yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. God is a faithful God. And he abideth faithful. He's always faithful to his covenant people. And let we who are the blood-washed saints of God always remember that our God is faithful. He's sure. And he's a resting place. And he alone is the believer's resting place. No one who believes on him, who trusts him, has ever trusted him in vain. No one. He has proven through the years, and not just through the years, beloved, but he's proven through the centuries, hasn't he? He's proven through the centuries, through all of time, to his people, to his covenant people, that he is faithful even when we're not. Even when we're not. He's always faithful to his people. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. God is faithful in all his relations with his covenant people because faithfulness is part of his character. And this is the basis of our confidence in Christ. The fact that our God is a faithful God. A faithful God. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verses 19 to 25. Having therefore, brethren, beloved, or brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, in heaven and high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed, with pure water. Now look at that, having a full assurance of faith. What is, what is the reason we have a full assurance of faith? The faithfulness of God. Like our God is a faithful God. Look what it says. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. But notice it says there, for he is faithful that promised. Now what we read over in Jeremiah, those are promises of God. So you tie that in with what's just stated there in Hebrews. He is faithful who promised. He's faithful. We'll see that tonight. Oh, I pray that God, the Holy Spirit, would illuminate the Scriptures and teach we who believe. It doesn't matter if we're a young believer or an old believer. We need this. We need to know that our God is faithful. Faithful all the time to his covenant people. Now our God has given us many exceeding great and precious promises all through the Scriptures. All through the Scriptures. And we are counting on him to fulfill them, aren't we? We're trusting him, that he will fulfill what he says. And, and remember who's saying this. This is God, the self-existent one, Jehovah. So it, what he promises, he has the ability to do. 
He has the power to do. We talked about before how, how we as humans promise to do things and then we don't always go through with them. Sometimes we forget or sometimes we just don't do them. Right? And sometimes we let others down when we do that. God will never let his people down. Never. If he promises to do something, he'll do it. He'll do it. And we rest on that, don't we? we that's our hope. Because our hope's in Christ, in Christ alone. Are we resting on the assurance of what we read there in Hebrews 10.23? For he is faithful, that is promised. Are we resting on that? Oh, I hope that God will make us to rest upon that. The fact that he's faithful. That what he's promised, he's faithful. He's faithful. May God give us the grace and strength to do so. Because again, he's always faithful in all that he has promised. All that he's promised to who? His covenant blood-bought people. And it's all in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Nowhere else. Remember, all the promises are in Christ what? Yea and amen. All in Christ. All in Christ. Now, there are seasons we go through as Christians when it's not easy for us to rest in the promises of God. We have to admit that, don't we? There's times when it's easier, right? and then there's times when it's hard. When it's hard. Our faith is tried, our trouble comes, but let us rest assured that even when we are not faithful, even when we are fickle, because we are, and that happens a lot to us, let us always remember that God is faithful to his people. Always. Always. It's wonderful. It, it'll bring you great rest. Great peace. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah 50.10. Isaiah 50.10. And we're note here in this verse that the believer does not trust in himself or in any means, but but they trust in the Lord himself. The Lord himself. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Well, that's our natural state right there, isn't it? Walking in darkness and hath no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. We who are God's blood-bought, born-again people, we do not trust in ourselves. We do not trust in any means of anything that we can do, but we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We trust in the perfections of his nature. We trust in his mercy. We trust in his grace. We trust in his goodness which is all wrapped up in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. And, the, and what is the name of the Lord to God's people? It's a strong tower, isn't it? It's a strong tower. And, and it's his name in whom we have salvation. It's Christ and Christ alone. In the name of the Lord. And, and he's the Lord, our righteousness. So as this scripture says, let him trust in the name of the Lord. 
and stay upon his God. Rest. It's hard for us to do that. It's hard for us to do that. To trust him when in the dark, one commentator says, this is a glorious act of faith. This is believing in hope against hope. Trusting and resting and relying upon the Lord. Now the Lord's people do this. But I ask you this. I ask you this. What and who keeps us trusting? What and who keeps us trusting in the Lord? Let us look at our text tonight with this in mind. And I believe we'll find the answer to that question. And I believe that we'll find that answer to that question in the faithfulness of our great God. In the faithfulness of our great God. Now when reading this chapter, if you keep in mind the fact of God's sustaining grace is here pictured in verse 2. Let's go back to our chapter in Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32. The, the, the picture being presented here is the fact of God's sustaining grace. And we will see tonight his faithfulness. But look at verse 2. Jeremiah finds himself in a situation where he needs sustaining grace. Now, we're always in a position where we need sustaining grace, don't we? But there are some times that the fire is a little hotter than normal. And look at here in Jeremiah 32, 2. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. So all through this chapter, God sustains Jeremiah. And we have here a picture of how God, through his faithfulness to his covenant people, sustains every single individual sheep of God. So we often look at these pictures that we see in scriptures and we think, well, there, there's a great man of God. God sustains every one of his sheep like he sustained Jeremiah. He does. He sustains his people, the elect of God. A good question for us to ponder when we get anxious about situations which come up in our lives and and often the situations that we get anxious about are unexpected. They just pop up. Vicky and I have a saying we've said for a long time since we learned about the grace of God in Christ, since God taught us who he was, revealed to us who he is, an almighty sovereign God. We have a statement that we say when things happen, well, that didn't catch God by surprise. Nothing catches our God by surprise. Lots of things catch us by surprise, don't they? Huh. All the time. But there are certain times when we get anxious about a situation that comes up. Again, it's often unexpected. But look at verse 27 in this chapter. And this question speaks to my heart about the faithfulness of our great God. Let's read verse 26 with it. So we'll read verses 26 and 27. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, 
Now remember, he's in prison. He's, it's not a, not a delightful situation that he's going through. Behold, I am the Lord. And that is Jehovah, the self-existent one. The God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Wow. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? When I read this, it just spoke to my heart. And I ask you, what can weak flesh, which is spoken of there, he's the God of all flesh, what can weak flesh do against the Almighty? Jehovah, the self-existent one, he that gives life to all creatures, the God of all men, the maker and preserver of them, the one who provides for them, those who are called flesh in verse 27 here, those who are weak and full of corruption, those who are unworthy of divine favor, how will they resist his will? We know the answer, don't we? How will they hinder the execution of of his purposes. Notice this is prefaced with a behold at the beginning of verse 27. This is to bring this to our attention. This is for we who are his people to take notice of. To encourage us. To encourage our faith and to remove doubts during difficulties which come our way. And they often come our way, don't they? We think, Lord, how am I going to get through this? I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Oh, what peace that brings God's people. If God is Jehovah, and he is, then none can hinder him. Because he is faithful to his covenant people. So the text brings forth here, is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard for the God of the universe to execute if it's according to his will? Nothing. Can any man... Mere flesh, thwart his will. Well, in religion, they say they can. That's a lie from the pit of hell. None can stay his almighty hand. None. And, and, and think of that in light of the judgment that was to fall upon us. The only way his hand was stayed of that judgment and wrath to fall upon us as it fell upon our substitute. My. I ask you if he is the being of all beings, and he is, 
If he is the God and governor of this world, and he is the governor of all men, the God of all men, he's the creator of all things, visible and invisible, then what is it that he cannot do? And again, who can thwart his will? The answer to the question in verse 27, is there anything too hard for me? There's nothing. There's nothing too hard for the Lord to do. Nothing. And the settling of the question is, is that even though Jerusalem should be destroyed and the inhabitants carried away, yet God could return them again to their own land because he has all power and might to do so. And think of our salvation, beloved. Think of our salvation. It is impossible for man to justify himself. It is impossible for man to pay the price for one of our sins. Just one. It's impossible. And God himself becomes a man when the fullness of time was come, all according to God's faithfulness to his people. The word becomes flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and redeems his covenant people by himself on Calvary's cross, paying absolutely everything that God demanded for the sins of his covenant people for the sins of his elect. So that which is impossible with man to justify ourselves, to save ourselves, is possible with our great God. So we see that there is nothing that's impossible with our great God. He can do whatever he pleases. Whatever he pleases. With that in mind, let's go back to Jeremiah 32, verses 36 and 37. And let's look at these precious promises. They're, they're scattered all through these verses. These precious promises. And again, keep verse 27 in mind. You know, as we read these promises, and as we ponder these promises, and as we see the faithfulness of God on full display, keep, keep this in mind. Is there anything too hard for me? The Lord says. Look at verses 36 and 37. And now therefore, thus saith the Lord God, the God of Israel, concerning the city, whereof you say, it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whither I have driven them in mine anger and in my fury and in great wrath. And I will bring them again unto this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. So note God is angry and yet gracious here. The rest of the chapter is full of tenderness and love and it makes the believers, as one commentator said, it makes the believers' eyes fill with tears as we note how God speaks concerning those who have rebelled against him, knowing, knowing that this is our natural state before our great God. Oh, how gracious God is to his covenant people. How faithful he is to his covenant people. And note, here bring them back to Jerusalem in the text here. Here bring them back. Notice how many times he says, I, 
I have driven them in mine anger. Well, look at verse 37. I will gather them out of the, all the countries, whether I have driven them in mine anger. I will bring them again unto this place. I will cause them to dwell safely. This is God speaking. And what he says, he will do. And think upon this. Who brings us back to God? Who brings us back to God? Who brings us back to a right standing before God? Only the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes us willing by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And we flee to Christ. We flee to him. And we dwell. Where do we dwell? He's caused us to dwell safely, hasn't he? He's caused us to dwell safely. Where? In Christ. In Christ and Christ alone. In our mighty, wonderful Redeemer. And think of this. You who are the beloved of God. God's mercy is new every morning to us. Every morning. It's new. His steadfast love for his people never ceases. Even when we're unfaithful and fickle, it never ceases. It never ceases. His mercies to his people never come to an end because they're all in Christ. And they're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness because he's a great God. He's the one true God. And we see that manifested in the next few verses. Look at verse 38. Note, and note, note how it's not, and it's not, well, they might be my people if they, if they come to me. Right? Note who it's based upon. And they shall, wonderful word, be my people. And I will be their God. Now, now in verse 27, remember, is there anything too hard for me? Do you see how this is the opposite of what religion says when they say God's up there wringing his hands? Oh, he wants you to come, but, but he, he, he can't force you. Let me tell you, if you're not made willing to come to Christ, you'll never come to him. you never come to him. But if you're made willing, you will run so fast to Christ. <laughs> Because he's the only refuge of our soul, beloved. And look at this. And they shall be my people. Oh, what comfort we can draw there. They shall be my people. And I will be their God. I will be their God. So here in verse 38 is a comprehensive summary of the covenant of grace, which shall be made known to God's people at the time of their conversion and the blessings of it applied to them and bestowed on them in Christ. Again, remember, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And note the I will. I will. It shall come to pass. It shall come to pass. And note, he says, they shall be my people and I will be their God. Now there, there, there is a blessed promise right there for we who believe just to lay our soul on, isn't it? Oh, what a promise. That, that's a promise from God. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Oh, what a promise. What a blessed promise we have here before us. Note verse 39, And I will give them one heart in one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of them 
and of their children after them. Again, our great God and King says, I'll give them one heart. That's a heart that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Hungers and thirsts after the things of God. Hungers and thirsts after the preaching of His gospel. Hungers and thirsts for the reading of His word. And this this new heart loves the brethren. Loves the brethren, beloved. Oh my. We who are born again by the Holy Spirit of God, we've been given a new heart to worship and adore our great covenant God. And these promises before us, before we who are the beloved of God, these are sure to believers. These are sure promises. And and I'll tell you, you can rest your soul on and they shall be my people and I'll be their God. That's a sure promise. And that's, that's from the one who says, is there anything too hard for me? Oh my. Oh my beloved. Beloved of God. What a, what a great God we have. And the promises of God will surely be performed. And we see these promises fulfilled every, every time one of God's lost sheep is saved. We see these promises fulfilled. They were fulfilled in our lives when the Holy Spirit regenerated us and we're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. It's marvelous in our eyes, isn't it? Know that it's also said by the one true God that he will have one people of the same heart. And that's a heart that he gives them. There's one covenant, the everlasting covenant. And there's only one way to glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. The Lord Jesus Christ. It is only in him that we have unity. In the unity spoken of in Jeremiah, it says, and I will give them one heart in one way after that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. So one heart in one way. There's unity there, isn't there? Where's our unity as believers? It's in Christ. It's in Christ and Christ alone. That's where we have our unity. And think of this. Think of this. They have, there's, there's unity there as opposed to the scattering. When they were scattered, we, that, that pictures us dead in trespasses and sins. They're scattered all over. But now the believers have unity. We have unity. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 4. One heart in Jeremiah there pictures born again believers of one heart, one faith. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 3 to 6. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. There's one body. All the elect of all the ages comprise one body. One body. One spirit. There's one Holy Spirit. Even as you are called in one hope of your calling. Who's the hope of our calling, beloved? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. The church is one great body and Christ is the glorious head, beloved. And every member is united to Him. 
united to him and to each other. Remember that. We're not just united to Christ, we're united to each other, beloved. Just as our bodies and our various limbs are united. They're united, aren't they? We are united to Christ, who is our head. Just as our bodies are united to our head. And so those who have been given a new heart are all the elect of all the ages. Spiritual Israel. They are all knit in one body. One body. All intimately linked in one common interest. The Lord Jesus Christ. We're knit together in him. Knit together in love. And we're concerned for one another, aren't we? We are. Now let's look at verse 40. Verse 40 here very evidently brings forth the faithfulness of our great God. Jeremiah 32, 40. Look at this. Again, and, and, and mark well the I will. This is just, this is God saying this. Jeremiah 32, 40. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do, to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Is God the Father who's made an everlasting covenant with God the Word? the Son, and the Holy Spirit in eternity to save all of his elect, all of his chosen people. And this was done, of course, in the council halls of eternity, beloved, by the Father who chose a people in Christ, a people of his own choosing. If you're a believer, you're a person of God's choosing. That's amazing. That's amazing. And it's all according, it's, it's, it's because of nothing in us. And it's all according to his mercy and his grace. The fact that his love has been set upon you from eternity. Oh, it makes our hearts sore, doesn't it? Makes our hearts sore. And the word, the second person of the Trinity, <coughs> covenanted to redeem and, and save the Father's chosen people by by substitutionary life, and living a substitutionary life in, in the place of God's chosen people. And then, by his substitutionary atoning death upon the cross, he satisfied God's law and justice for us. The sinless one died for sinners. The just one died for the unjust. And that law and justice, that law and justice had a rightful claim on us, didn't it? had no claim on him. Oh my. What a savior. What a redeemer is Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he rose from the grave to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Right now he intercedes for his blood-bought bride. And then the Holy Spirit covenanted to regenerate those chosen fallen sinners all by his almighty power which is the power of God. The power of God. It is he who gives us a new heart. This heart that hungers and thirsts after Christ. It is, it is he who makes chosen sinners willing in the day of his power. He makes those willing who are naturally unwilling. He grants them faith to flee to Christ. Who is the only hope for sin. 
It is he who is the great comforter, the Holy Spirit of God, who teaches God's chosen, blood-bought, born-again people the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he alone guides us into all truth. And who is the one who is truth incarnate? The Lord Jesus Christ. And note here in our text, I'll read it again, verse 40, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Notice here a threefold promise right in this text. And the God who promises this can do whatever he pleases because he has all power to fulfill the promises that he makes to his people. Notice here a threefold promise. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will not turn away from them. I will put my fear in their hearts. My. This is on top of the other promises we already looked at. Now something I'd like us to consider here. Notice the last words in this verse. That they shall not depart from me. Have you ever wondered about why you get up each morning and still believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Every morning we wake up, don't we, as believers, and we still believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what we're going through. No matter what we're going through. Have you ever thought of that in light of how millions of others get up and have no faith in God and no care for God? But you do. Do you ever wonder about how each morning you wake up and you believe despite, again, whatever you're going through, you do not quit? You don't give up? Like so many who were mere professors and yet not possessors? I'm sure we've all seen people like that through the years. And that's happened all through the ages. Why do I wake up with the same faith that I had yesterday? What is keeping it going? Surely it's not, it's not owing to anything in us. Surely not. Surely not. No, the answer is found in this wonderful promise right here before us, beloved. The reason we believe, the reason we keep clinging to Christ is because of the faithfulness of our great God. And note here in our text in verse 40, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. God himself promises his people, his covenant blood-bought people, And he will put the fear of himself in their hearts. In the hearts of his people. And this is not a slavish fear. This is a reverent fear. This is a fear of just being in awe of who God really is. So that they will not turn from him. We who are his covenant people. In Christ, his blood-bought people 
are forever His people. And our text here in verse 40 proclaims that God will not let you depart from Him. Oh my goodness. What a promise. What comfort is found here for the believer. We can have trouble and trials which make make us anxious and often it happens, doesn't it? And we battle with unbelief in our lives, don't we? Yet we cling to our precious Savior. And this precious promise right here brings forth that God keeps us. He will not allow us to depart from Him. What a God. He saves us and then He keeps us. Oh my. And we trust in His faithfulness, don't we? Not in our fickleness. And sometimes we cry out with the Father in Scripture who said, with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Even then, He's faithful to us. <laughs> Always. His, remember, God doesn't change. Therefore, beloved, His faithfulness doesn't change. Never. Never. This is comforting for God's people. And again, what comfort all believers, young and old, can find here in this text. And the fact that those whom God saves, He keeps. Matthew Poole brings this wonderful truth forth from this verse. He says, It may well from hence be concluded that both conversion unto God and perseverance in the ways of God are the gifts of God. Are the gifts of God. We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. My. So when we are united to Christ by faith, we're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. This promise becomes real for us, doesn't it? It becomes real for us. And now we're in a battle, beloved. But the battle's the Lord's. Here defend us. Here defend us. Here protect us. He restrains us and constrains us all by his love. And this precious truth, this precious promise here becomes real for the believer in Christ. Becomes real for us. And here is the difference between religion and grace. Religious people trust in their works to keep them when it is nothing but a refuge of lies, as none can, none of us can keep ourselves. But we who are the born-again, blood-washed saints of God, we wholly cast ourselves upon Christ. We wholly cast ourselves upon the God who is proclaiming these wonderful truths here before us tonight. And He is the one who keeps us from falling. He's the one who does that. He is the one who keeps us believing. He keeps us believing. And it is He who will one day present us faultless in the presence of God the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ will do that. Will do that. And here do it with exceeding joy. Let's look at the last two verses and We'll close after just a few words of these. Jeremiah 32, 41 and 42. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart. 
and with my whole soul. For thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. He is here speaking of his covenant people, the ones whom he gives one heart to, the one the ones whom he puts his fear into heart in, into their hearts, and the ones who shall never depart from him because he keeps them. They shall preserve to the end because he keeps them. And they are those whom he has loved from eternity, his chosen, blood-bought, born-again people. And he rejoices, God rejoices over them in Christ, in Christ. And just as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, he loves them. He loves his covenant people. And he will show them good as he delights in showing mercy, doesn't he? And we've tasted that, haven't we? We've tasted that the Lord is gracious. We've tasted that, we who are his people. Oh, what mercy he's showing us. And he adorns us with the righteousness of Christ. With the righteousness of Christ. And then God the Father looks upon his chosen blood-bought people and he sees us in Christ. My, what a God. Truly, truly as the scriptures say, God has provided good things for his elect all through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he constantly, he constantly supplies us with grace, doesn't he? Constantly, constantly. His mercies are new every morning. And one day, one day he'll bring us to glory to be with him forever. And then we'll praise his mighty name for eternity. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank thee. Oh, we thank thee for this wonderful scripture which we've seen tonight. Where you say, you make a covenant with your people. And you shall save us and you shall keep us. We will be your people. But oh Lord, you're such a faithful God. Those you save, you keep. And then one day, we have the privilege, the honor of seeing thee in glory. What a glorious day that will be for we who are your people. Lord, we pray that if there's anyone who will listen to this message who do not, does not know you, oh Lord, that thy Holy Spirit would move in their lives and that, that, that you would save them. And we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.